It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. We are T-minus two days to the 2022 NFL Draft. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. I'm John Schmelk, joined by Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels. Let's not mess around, folks, because we have a very busy show today. Off the top of the show, we'll have Arif Hassan. He does a great job covering the NFL for the Athletic. His consensus draft board is out. We'll discuss that. And then at the end of the show, at around 12.50, we'll have Mike Golick, Sr., and he'll join us to talk about the NFL draft. So let's get right to it, and then we'll take your calls in between, by the way, at 201-939-4513. But let's welcome in our first guest. He is Arif Hassan, and he covers the NFL for the Athletic. Go check out his consensus draft board. It is a great tool uh, to have at your disposal heading into the draft on Thursday night. Arif, you got John Schmelk, Paul Dottino, and former NFL punter Jeff Fiegels here on Big Blue Kickoff Live on the Giants mobile app. Hope you're well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I hope all of you are well. Uh, we are, sir. So your consensus <laughs> draft board, uh, you as updated as of today, you have 300 players here. Before we get into it, can we talk about your methodology in terms of exactly what this is and how you put it together so we have a good reference point in which we can then pepper you with some questions? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I grab uh, I grab big boards from you know, big boards with the rankings of players uh, that draft analysts put together. I, I grab them from all across, uh, you know, magazines, uh, television shows, the web, of course, uh, and I, I find a way to, to to gather them all together and average them out and and produce a ranking out of all seventy of those boards of the top three hundred players uh, in the NFL draft. And I also figure out, you know, hey, who are the players people disagree on the most? Hey, who do, who do the players are experts over at the Athletic disagree on the most, uh, and and what what is different about these versus the mock drafts we're seeing? Well, I guess that that's going to be my follow up. Then, how do you compare this process and your results with comparing some of these consensus mock drafts that other people have come together? Is which is one more predictive, in your opinion, than the other? And what does history say? about how your consensus big board ultimately reflects the order in which these players do, in fact, go off the board on draft night. Yeah, if you want to figure out who the top five players in the draft are, are going to be, you, you, you want to look at those consensus mock drafts. You want to take a look at what people are saying there. Um, if you want to figure out kind of you know where a player is going to go around the 40s and 50s, you know, this is going to do a lot better job, even those uh, even those really big mock drafts that are, you know, two rounds, three rounds, four rounds, five rounds, uh, just because there's so much more data to work with and, and, and so many more experts to work with. Um, those, those mock drafts do a really excellent job when it comes to the top of the first round. But then after that, you just kind of have to figure out where players just generally are ranked because there's so many trades sure. that happen that you can't, you can't match all these players to all these teams. And at some point, it's just going to go by the order of actually how good the players are. And, and the mock draft uh, doesn't do as good a job of that as, as the big board does. Okay, so uh, before I pass it on here to Paul and Jeff to pepper you with questions as well, <laughs> who are the guys that have the most variance this year, Arif? And before we even get to the individual players, let's start generally, because I'm sure this is what Paul and Jeff are going to ask you. Do you find that there's more variance this year in a draft that's been considered much more unpredictable than others where we've heard, you know, one team might have a guy ranked as the 18th player, another team might have that team guy ranked as like the 40th best player. Did you find more variance this year than in a normal year in terms of your consensus big board? 
Yeah, for sure. And usually most years, the top guy is the top guy. Almost everyone agrees that the number one player, um, it might not be the number one player that goes in the draft, you know, Chase Young, number two overall, Saquon Barkley went number two overall, but the guy that everyone likes the most is the best player in the draft. You know, everyone usually agrees on that. Here we don't have that. All five people, actually I've got eight or nine different players that have a number one ranking, but generally wow. speaking, um, the, the top five that everyone agrees on are the top five they all have different rankings across the top five, and that's really unusual. I think for me, one of the things that I'm curious about, and I know it takes you some time to put this together, over the course of the days or weeks even that you started to compile and fuss with the numbers and fuss with the names, who are the biggest late risers and the biggest late fallers on your current board as of this morning? Yeah, if you take a look at, at some of the guys who had disappointing 40 times, which, you know, it's, it's a shame, right, because they we're so far removed from, from when they've played. But you take a look at the guys with disappointing 40 times like Kyle Hamilton, um, they end up being, you know, late fallers. And and that kind of sucks a little bit, especially because uh, a lot of people still think Hamilton is the number I think 20% of my board still have Hamilton as the number one player in the draft. But he's just kind of fallen in some people's estimation. Uh, and so, you know, that, that kind of just happens sometimes. Uh, as for late risers, it's always the quarterbacks. By the time the draft starts, people get clued in. And they're like, oh, well, these teams need quarterbacks. They're going to they're gonna find a way to get those quarterbacks. So those guys always rise up the boards at the end. Um. Arif, I, I'm interested because the Giants are looking for some offensive line help, and I'm I'm on the Athletic now on on the site that has your mocks and stuff. Um, one thing that's I we obviously know the big boys up there, the ones that uh, you know that everybody's talking about. You have a you have an offensive lineman from Chattanooga here <laughs> on Cole Strange as one of your steals. Now I'm going pretty far down. He's, you got him at number 68 by consensus, um, and it shows here the number 115 by the mocks. Give me your rationale on, about who Cole Strange is, and you know would the Giants maybe be interested in somebody here? Obviously, this is number 68. It might be okay for them to go after a guy like this. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a guy that, you know, gets a spotlight a little bit just because it, it occurs late in the process and people finally get around to some of these guys that don't mm-hmm. come from Power 5 schools. Um, there's a lot of centers in this year's draft that um, are a little bit lighter but a lot more athletic that have a lot of movement ability. A lot of people are talking about Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, obviously, you've also got uh, a couple of people like Nebraska, um, Cam Jurgens. Cole Strange is, is very much in that mold. He maybe doesn't have quite the technical excellence that Linderbaum has, um, but he does have movement capability, and he plays really nasty. He loves playing really physical. Um, so even though he doesn't have the power of somebody like, you know, Creed Humphrey got drafted last year by the Chiefs, he doesn't have quite that same level of power. Um, he certainly has a high level of intelligence. The one thing you have to worry about him is that he doesn't actually play center in college. He plays guard. Uh, and so, uh, you know, coaches rave about his intelligence. They're very confident that he can do this. He did it in the offseason circuit, so they had him snap the ball, make sure that that operation was working for him. Um, but, you know, you always have to project a little bit with, with players like this that, you know, hey, maybe he's not big enough to play guard, but gosh, he's really athletic. We've got to find a use for him, maybe at center. Um, and, and so that's where you get that, where you, you want him to develop a little bit more, which is why, you know, he's kind of moving on late in the mocks. And you also are always just a little bit concerned when you switch positions. Now, I got to imagine position value is going to have a lot to do with this, Arif, but who are some of the other guys that you find are much higher on the consensus big board than what you see? them going in mocks 
Yeah, of course, there's always, like I said, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are always going to be a little bit higher in mocks. Uh, but it, the opposite direction are those interior offensive linemen where, you know, people know that, hey, Zion Johnson is just a really good player. Kenyon Green is a really good player, but you can't draft guards in the top five unless they're named Quentin Nelson. You just can't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So... So those guys fall a little bit, although I've seen Tyler Linderbaum, uh, you know, rebound uh, a little bit too, because he was, he was hanging out in the 20s for a little bit. Now I think he's around 14 or 15 in the, in the consensus board. So that's one area where you see that happen. Um, another area where you see it happen just a little bit is, uh, you know, these, these nose tackles. Um, I've kind of separated out in the board, you know, when you've got these bigger guys that are nose tackles, they drop in much the same way the interior offensive linemen drop. I think the only exception right now, of course, is Jordan Davis, and he's, you know, a very unique player. You can't really use him as a test case. But Travis Jones from Connecticut, you know, a lot of people have him as the second-best nose tackle. Some people don't even have him in his top 100. So hmm. Well, that, that's, that's crazy. That's where you kind of get. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's because he went to UConn. Player. Yes, he's a great player. <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> earlier John had asked you about the top of the board and the variance, especially up there. I want to ask you about rounds like three, four, and five, which so many people have said, you know, is a sweet spot for a number of positions, although a lot of people think the second round is a great round too for like wide receivers and such. Uh, as you got deeper into the rounds on your consensus, did you find more variation or less variation? Well, there's always going to be more variation because there's less and less that separates, you know, players from each other, uh, you know, when they're, they're 20 spots apart. You know, at the top of the board, 20 spots is huge. That's why teams pay so much. But at the bottom of the board or in the middle of the board, those 20 spots are going to be a little bit different. And, and people always value something just a tad different in some of these players. They might value level of competition or athleticism or production or technical capacity or any you know, the reputation that they have for off-field. So that's always going to be a little bit more. Uh, this year, I would say that the variance in the middle is a little bit less than I'm used to seeing. Uh, and so th- that ranking is just a little bit more solid, but it's, it's always going to be um, just kind of a, a little bit unstable. Who are the guys that are all over the place? Arif, where you know one guy might have him at fifteen, other guy might have him at thirty. I'm, I'm gonna, th- I'm at forty even. I'm gonna throw a couple names at you, but please, if there's anyone else that that I'm not thinking of or I'm or I haven't included, please throw them out there. Like I feel like I got like George Karloftis is all over the place. Uh, Bernard Ryman, I feel like is kind of all over the place. Trevor Penning, I feel like might be all over the place for people. If you could talk about those three and maybe some of those second tier pass rushers like the Arnold Ebiketti's guys like that, can you just talk about who some of the guys are that have really the most Variance when you look at all these big boards that kind of have the biggest range of possible outcomes? You'd be surprised. Actually, Karloftis is one of the, the less really variance guys. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, sometimes when, when I do this, uh, this year I didn't, but sometimes when I do this, I, I, I ask Twitter, like, hey, who do you think the most polarizing players are? Uh, and I get a bunch of names. I look at the top 20 names and I get... And half of them aren't that polarizing at all. It's just a good talker. People love talking about it, so it seems polarizing. <laughs> but everyone just kind of ranks them the same way. Um, but when you get to some of these small school guys like Trevor Penning, you know, that's going to happen. He's actually one of the higher variance guys I have right now. As soon as I updated the board, I knew that there was going to be a couple of changes for his rankings that are going to make him a pretty high variance player. 
Um, you mentioned the Penn State pass rusher, Abiketti. He's I He might be the second or third most variant player I have right now, just in terms of the rankings. And you, you just don't see that many 6'2 pass rushers anymore. I think that that's part of it. He's not going to add a ton to his frame. Personally, I love him. I think that he's a really excellent player. He's really athletic, and that translates at that position a lot. But, you know, there's a lot of people that, that like that prototypical look and, and, and want a longer history of having played football, you know, for, for those kinds of players. Sure. But, you know, historically you'll find if there's a difference in production and athleticism, some some people like one thing a lot, some people like another thing a lot. Um, the small school factor, you know, it plays into it a lot. And and I think the perfect combination of that um, is Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State, an FCS school, mm-hmm. super athlete. I think he yeah. might have been the best cornerback tester at the Combine. And actually he has a twin that declared for the draft too. Tristan McCollum, also from Sam Houston State, he has a safety. Um but and and he was super productive, so don't don't get me wrong. But you know he's playing at an FCS level. Um, a lot of people are concerned about you know his, his instincts uh, and whether or not that translates to the NFL. So he's he's one of the more variable players in the draft as well. Uh, and then also at cornerback Tariq Woolen. Um, you, you just don't get six four corners that run four two. You just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was really good at football, you know we wouldn't have that much of a, of a variance. But he's going to have to be taught some some things from pretty good NFL coaches for that to translate. But he could go bottom of the second round. He could go top of the second round. He could go into the third or fourth round. You know, it's it's one of those things. So those are kind of some of the most variable players. But it's really just hey, if they've had an injury history like Justin Ross, you know that's going to pop up. Um, or, or if they come from a small school, like I mentioned, or if there's a kind of a difference in, in what people value in their evaluation of that player. One player I want to follow up on really quick, Arif. Drake <clears throat> Jackson is a guy that Paul and I here both like a lot. Mm-hmm. I've seen him all over the place. I wonder if it has to do with his weight fluctuation, uh, things of that nature. Is he a guy that has a high variance on your board? Uh, Drake Jackson, the Southern California yeah. guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has a, a fair amount of variation, more than more than the average player. Um, Not but surprising. He, I, I, yeah, but he is still kind of generally thought of as a late second rounder. Okay. Um, so you know that that I think is I, I wouldn't. There's no player that's going to be safe in terms of where <laughs> where you're going to where you're going to figure out where they're going to be. You know, someone could always release a bong video, and and now you have to worry about where that player is going to land. Oh boy! But, uh, Hello, Tunsil. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for the most part, I would say you're probably not going to see Drake Jackson uh, drafted in, in the um, first 40 to 45 picks. And then after that, I think it's a pretty fair game. Same with the guy ranked right next to him, Nick Benito, the Oklahoma um, edge or linebacker. It really depends on what people see him as. See, Arif, it's interesting, and I'm glad John brought that up because I have my top-of-the-radar guy for every one of the Giants' picks, and I have Drake Jackson at number 67 as my number one guy to target for the Giants at the early of the third round, hoping that he'll be there, thinking there's a chance he'll be in the neighborhood. Good luck. I know. I'm I'm hoping. You're telling me maybe. You're telling me maybe, right? There's a chance. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. All right. Let, let, Let me get to my real question. Uh, and that is FCS players. We know from talking to a number of our people who are draft gurus that there are so many FCS players who are probably going to get buried this year because of the extra NCAA guys who stayed the extra year and so many of those extra super senior guys that, that are coming out. Uh, from, from your angle, what are you seeing in general about the FCS class that's coming out this year? It's a real shame. The last two years, FCS players and players at the Division Two, II, Division Three, and NAIA level have not been drafted that much. 
Um, of course, you always have uh, you know some players like uh, like the guy that went to New England in round two, um, but from Lenore Ryan, I think Duggar. Um, but you know, half as many players are drafted in the last two years from those uh, smaller uh, levels. Um, than we're in the previous two years, and I expect we'll see something a little bit similar, but I think it is a bit better than it was over the last two years. So I think we're kind of in a transition phase. We're back to normal where NFL teams are just a little bit more willing to trust you know, uh, FCS players because they didn't play a season right two years ago, and, and, and we didn't get good pro day or combine data from them over the past two years, and so there was a lot of uncertainty around them. I think it's going to be a better year for them, but it's not going to be back to, to what we're used to. Uh, in terms of what FCS players have historically been able to do. But we're seeing, you know, Northern Iowa and North Dakota State, we're seeing those guys get first-round conversation. Um, we're seeing, you know, players uh, like, you know, Zion McCollum, Sam Houston get second-round conversation. And so they're in a better spot than they were before. Plus, you know, with the ascendancy of, of the Shrine Bowl, it's doing a little bit better. They're going to be able to feature some of those guys a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, I think we're in a better spot for a lot of those FCS players than we were last year, but we're not where we were. Arif, I, I was uh, going to ask that question a little bit about Christian Watson um, from North Dakota State. I feel like he's a guy that you know can can rise up the boards a little bit. Obviously, he comes from a smaller school. Um, what is your consensus on him? And then the second part of my question is, you know, Trayvon Walker is a guy that you know shot up this board in the last couple of weeks. I'd be interested to see what you have to say about him too. Yeah, Christian Watson, I've seen him sneak into the bottom of the first round. He's actually one of the guys that barely made the cut in the article I just published about players that are getting drafted a little bit higher than, than where they are on the consensus board. So he's ranked 47th right now in my current version of the board. Um, he's got a little bit of variance, a lot less than you expect from a small school, and I think that that's because he did a full off-season circuit. He went to the Senior Bowl. Um, but there is you know, an injury history with him that you have to worry about. Um, that that athleticism and that level of production when he was on the field, it, it is hard to find even at that level, and so people are right. kind of willing to take that chance. Um, so I, I would expect him to, to go a little bit higher than where he is currently on the consensus board. I still, if I if I were going to bet on it, it, you know, I wouldn't be very confident in the bet, but I, I think it would be at the top of the second round. Um, so that's what I think about... Yeah, I, that's what I think about Christian Watson, and I'm sorry, I think I missed the second part of that question. Um, I just was interested what you have to say about Trayvon Walker, you know, a guy that's really has just lately just been shooting up the board. Obviously, we know what type of a player he's been, but you know, now some people got him going number one um, all the way down to you know fourth or fifth. So I'm just curious about what you have to say about him. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and I know that there were some reports released yesterday that the Jaguars are potentially considering him number one overall, for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that one is fascinating. That is the perfect example of a guy whose athleticism and production don't match, right? And so the, the question that a lot of NFL teams are asking is, are the traits that he's demonstrating, the kind of traits that translate, you know, if we got him from 280 pounds to 250 pounds, are we going to have him as an edge rusher? You know, one of my colleagues just published um, a, a discussion piece about him where they talked to five or six different NFL coaches and they don't care about that production because of the scheme that he played in. Um, they don't think that he's a 3-4 end in the NFL, and that's where he played a lot of uh, at Georgia, and they think that they can get him to play as a pure edge rusher uh, and, and generate that production. And I think the example of Daniel Hunter is a really good one because he also had fewer than 10 career sacks in college. He also blew up the combine. He did a remarkable job. Now, he did it at 255. Walker did it at 280. Um, but he also blew up the combine and coaches looked at that and said, well, hey, he's being asked to defend the run. He's not being asked to bend the edge. We know he can when he is asked to do it. Um, maybe we can coach that into him. Um, personally, I think that's, that's, number one is still way too hot for me. 
But I think that there's a compelling argument that he should certainly go in the top half of the first round because athleticism historically matters more for predicting yeah. how well these kinds of players at this position do uh, than, than production does. But, boy, that is, that is quite the bet. It is quite the bet. All right, Arif, before we say goodbye, I feel like your big board is a good way to figure out what the sweet spot is for certain positions. Because if you see a bunch of, you know, linebackers, for example, between numbers 40 and 60, you might say, wow, then maybe the second rounds are a little sweet spot for a linebacker. So I'm going to throw a couple positions at you. You tell me what you think kind of the sweet spot is where you're going to get some value at these positions. Let's start with tight end, a position the Giants need desperately. We've been talking about the fourth round being a nice sweet spot for tight ends this year. Is that what your numbers say, or do you think you might want to look elsewhere? I think that that's about right, especially kind of closer to the bottom of the fourth round. Um, you've got, of course, you know, Greg Dulcich, who might go at the top of the fourth round, might go a little bit higher. Some people have him as tight end one. We've got him as tight end two. Um, but then you've got a little bit of a run of those guys with Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. You've got Jelani Woods uh, from Virginia, one of two tight ends from there. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Kate Otten from Washington, which I know a lot of analysts, you know, they think, you know, hey, he's maybe not my top tight end, but he's my favorite tight end. Uh, and then uh, really close to all of them is Charlie Kolar from Iowa State. And that, that group, Isaiah Likely, to Charlie Kolar is 95 to 111. So there is a very tight clumping of players there. And just above them, I mentioned uh, Greg Dulcich. There's also Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State at 81. So I, I think your intuition is, is correct on this one, that you know the fourth round uh, is going to be a good place to, to find a lot of these guys. All right, how about running back? Mm-hmm. Oh, that one that one's pretty tough given how, you know, people have really changed their opinions of running back. I had a board that came in with a brief haul as the third best player in the draft, and I was like, well, you know, this is what you say, so I'm going to put it in, but I just want you to be sure about that. <laughs> really? Yeah, we all like him, by the way. <laughs> but um, for, for running back, it, it really depends on the kind of running back you're looking for. If you're looking for or for somebody that can really push the pile, um, that that's going to be a good kind of um, you know goal line guy. Uh, you're going to want to look around picks, uh, probably 100 to 118, just a little bit after the tight ends, because you've got Tyler Algier from Brigham Young. Um, you've got Brian Robinson Jr., who can do basically a bit of everything, but he's certainly good at that. Um, and and you've got uh, potentially, and this guy is one of the most uh, you know variant guys in, in the entire draft. Uh, Pierre Strong from South Dakota State, he can do a little bit of that too. So if you're looking for that kind of guy, that's where you're going to get it. But if you're looking for a running back that does a little bit more, first of all, it's going to be hard to find that guy. Um, but the second, I think maybe uh, if you get to the bottom, uh, or actually even the middle of that second round, um, you're going to maybe take a chance on Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M. That's probably where you're going to be able to find um, maybe Brees Hall. It depends on kind of whether or not people think that he is he is better than, than Kenneth Walker. Um, but it really is just about the flavor of running back you're looking for. And then if you're looking for a pass catcher that has got the ability to just kind of turn it and go, um, those are going to be had all over the draft. How about interior offensive line, Arif? Boy, uh, that one is interesting because at the beginning of, of grabbing this board together, you could not find very many good ones uh, in the second and third round. And now I think as more people have gotten their eyes on players like Cole Strange and Cam Jurgens, um, you're seeing a lot more of those interior offensive linemen pop up in the second and third round. So is it probably the bottom of the second, top of the third? That's where you're getting Cole Strange, Karrion Kennard, or Darian Kennard. Um, you could, if you wanted to convert um, Nicholas Petty Frere from Ohio State to guard, which I've seen a lot of people talk about, you could do that. 
Dylan Parham from Memphis, you know, people, mm-hmm. some people project him at center, some people project him at guard. They're in that 60 to, to 70 range um, at the bottom of the second, top of the third. And then you've got a super athlete in Sean Ryan from UCLA at 79. And then you've got somebody who did not test very well at all in Jeremy Salyer uh, at 80, but he might be one of the meaner offensive linemen in this draft. And there's some really mean ones. That's a pretty good compliment. Arif, great stuff. Uh, I could do this all day with you, but we got to roll. Tell us where that people can find you online, where they can find your stuff on The Athletic, and anything else you want to promote. The floor is yours. Of course. Of course, yeah. You can find me on Twitter, at Arif Hassan NFL. It's spelled a little bit weird, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L. Um, or you can just find me at theathletictheathletic.com. Uh, head over to, to my author page, Arif Hassan, um, and click on any of those articles. I've got like five articles in the consensus big board. I've got a couple more upcoming soon. That is awesome. Nice. Arif, awesome stuff. Great information. Keep up the good work. Good talking to you again, and we'll talk to you down the road. Right, pal? Be well. Thanks, Arif. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's Arif Hassan. Again, check out all his great stuff over at The Athletic. Does a fantastic job. All right, we have some guys on hold here, Pierce. We've got to get to them before we lose them right here. So let, let's do that. 201-939-4513. Giant season tickets are on sale now for 2022. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to Donnie in Queens. He's up first. Donnie. Hey, John. Good luck and best wishes in advance. Uh, I know you got, you got your own draft pick coming in in the next couple of days. Yes. Right now I am still on the clock, and there's still a lot of debate in the war room as to when we're going to make the selection. So I am in a holding <laughs> pattern right now. You can't scout that one. So, <laughs> well, you know, I I, I will say this: the kid has immaculate bloodlines. I know that. Yeah. Other than that, I, I can't. I can't say. You know, much that's else. funny. I hear Katie wants to trade you down. <laughs> what do you got, Donnie? Uh, well, look, it, it's draft season, so we know that there's a bunch of misinformation out there. But one of the guys I trust is Daniel Jeremiah, and mainly just because with his job security, he really doesn't need to be a uh, you know, clicks kind of guy. Yep. And one thing I like is he always says his mock drafts are not about what he sees, it's about what he hears. And his final mock draft, and even on his podcast yesterday, he's been kind of pushing the notion of wide receiver to the Giants at number seven. And something he, ha- he, done, he, ha- he has, by the way, but he also has said that, that the Giants are not a team that he has a lot of great intel on. He has, he has said that too. Fair enough. Um, but just getting to thinking about that idea, you know, on the surface, it, it seems like a position where they're relatively talented at compared to the rest of the roster. But thinking long term, who knows what happens with Galladay after this year? Shepard is in the last year of a contract. Yep. Uh, Slayton as well. Slayton could be a cap casualty or a trade option. To, you, know, you know, his salary boosted up a little bit. So, look. They've had one of the worst offenses in the league pretty consistently over the last couple of years. I would be curious, if they went that route, and I'm assuming it's if, you know, uh, Sauce is not there at 7 and maybe they don't like the pass rushers, who do you guys like the most? And I'll hang up and listen. I appreciate it, Donnie. Look, I, I do think wide receiver is a sneaky need. I think, again, I think they have needs at pretty much every position. Um, I would not. I think you can get a good one at 36. I don't know if I would go with 5 or 7. My top receiver in the class is Garrett Wilson. If the ACL wasn't an issue, it would be Jamison Williams. And what I, I would almost consider picking Williams before I would pick Wilson because I think Williams is special. And while I think Wilson is just a really great all-around receiver, those would be the two guys I would choose from given the Giants and their long-term rebuild. 
I would probably take Jamison Williams as my number one wideout, with Wilson as my two. Yeah, see, I haven't even considered a receiver in the first two days. Well, he's saying if they did pick one. Which, I, I haven't which, even thought about would, it. Which would be your receiver? I haven't even thought about it, John, honestly. I, I, I've thought seriously. Oh, my, just say Drake London because of skyscraper. Fine. It's easy. Right, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, seriously, on, on my top best-case scenario radar, my wide receiver is Kevin Austin. In the fifth round to pick 173. Well, Calvin Austin's not going to get it probably round three. Kevin Austin. Oh, Kevin Austin from uh, Notre Dame. That's my guy. That's my guy. He is my sleeper wide receiver in the fifth round, day three. I would be very, very satisfied if that's the receiver the Giants took in this draft. I have four or five wide receivers I still need to watch. He is one of them. I have not gotten to him yet. Jeff, how about you? Uh, I'd have to go with Garrett Wilson. Or Jamison Williams. I mean, I, I think Jamison Williams is going to be an outstanding football player. Um, I, you know, but just the injury kind of like, you know, this is always just a little caution there. But um, I like both those guys. And I, I, I would fall off the, the chair if the Giants went receiver at either five or seven. I would just basically jump out the window. Okay, well, Garrett Wilson's a heck of a he's, – he's going to be one of those guys that is just every year 90 catches, 1,200 mm-hmm. yards, seven touchdowns. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be like the 1,600-yard guy. But I think he's going to be twelve to thirteen hundred yards, seven eight touchdowns, ninety five catches. Like, every, like he's going to be basically like Justin Jefferson or Stephon Diggs. He's yeah. going to be that type of guy, and, and just in terms the, of consistency. That's my thinking with him. Is that at, with Garrett Wilson or either one of those guys? I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm Brian Dable, okay, Buffalo Bills. You're talking about Diggs. You're talking about. Allen, like just how they kind of run that type. You know, the Giants have that offense. Do they have that receiver on this roster now? Um, but I, that's why I would go with one of those guys because I see that whoever the quarterback is, they can put that type of system together, and it could be dynamic. Not to mention Mike Kafka with Tyreek Hill, by the way, with, and then look at James yeah. Williams' speed. Mm-hmm. See, I think part of the question here is, too, if you're asking, well, is there a receiver you'd like to get early? To me, there's no way in the world I would even – Consider a receiver in the first round at five or seven. Now, if you said to me at 36, is there somebody there who you might have in your cluster? I think that's that's a totally sure. different story. Well, okay, well, let's yeah. have that conversation. Then. You know, uh, who would you think about at 36? I mean, I don't I don't think Dotson's going to get there. I don't think he will either. Okay, but he would be. But, but he would be a guy for me. Sure. If if he was on the board at 36, I would at least put him in my cluster. Sky Moore would be in my mix there too. I think he's a very good player. You think Alave will be there? No. But he no. would he would be yeah. the guys I have six wide receivers in my top twenty two Wilson, Williams, London, Moore, Olave, and Dotson. And then the next group, and I think this is probably more realistic is the guys who are probably gonna be there. I do think Sky Moore will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a slot for me, John. I don't want another slot. Burks will be there. I think he can play outside, but I, I understand why you think that. I understand why you think that. Um Burks, Pickens, and Watson. Mm-hmm. Those would be the three guys realistically that I think could be there at 36. Would you take a flyer on Mechie? Not that early. I don't mm-hmm. think he's explosive enough to pick that early. Gotcha. I would pick him at the top of the third round. Mm-hmm. David Bell might be curious to me, too. Eh, his testing wasn't good enough for I him. know. I know his testing wasn't good. His production's good, though. I'm not picking a th- slow wide receiver in the second round. Well, see, I... I got my split end already in Galladay. He's going to be here for a while because he's got a contract that says he's going to be. Oh, you can get rid of him next year if you want. You save money on the cap. Just saying. But they don't need it. Next mm-hmm. year, they shouldn't need the money. Well, it depends who he wants to sign. Oh, that's true, too. <laughs> it depends who you want to bring in. That's true, too. And if Kenny Galladay, let's just say, again, 
I think Kenny Galladay is going to have a good year. I think he'll be here. But if Kenny Galladay is another injury rack season where he doesn't play well. See, this goes back to that problem with the specialization. If you say receiver, do you want a, a flanker, a split end, or a slot guy? Well, here's the problem. Which, might, what, which guy do you really want to draft? I think Donnie's point, though, is that you could get the next season, and the only guy you have left is Kadarius Tony. Well, now that would not be good. But it's, it's pot. <laughs> Look, Shepard's a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. When they reworked his deal, yeah, it's Slayton could be gone. It's and possible. what if Galladay has another rough year and they decide to let him it's go? Possible. It's possible. It's possible that Tony's the only guy left. Well, we, we've talked about Pickens before. He's a yeah. guy who I do like. Yep. I do like Pickens. You like Pickens better than Watson? <sighs> Tell you what, Watson has, watching Ooh. Watson against those other FCS players, he is Randy Moss vibes. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and again, he's not Randy Moss. He's, he's basically he's going up against lesser competition. Pickens but. is a little more of a sure thing because the tape is mm-hmm. against better players. Yes. And Burks is more of a Burks is too similar to Tony. I would not. Have I would him. not take him. I would not take Traylon Burks. Anyway, but I think Moore could be the replacement for Shepard in terms of the route oh, that's fair. yards after catch. Oh, guy. that's absolutely. You know fair. what I mean? If that's what you're looking for, and you don't know exactly what Tony's future is, that's right. a very fair thing to yeah. say. I don't. I don't disagree with that. And you're right. I think in the Giants situation, but you don't think Dotson's a slot? I don't have him there. I projected him. Oh my goodness, where do they put him? He's probably by Z, right? He's by. I got I got Dotson. Actually, you know what? I put Dotson down as a flanker slash slot. Yeah. So yes, yes, I do have him as a potential yeah. slot. And I think Olave is a guy you can move inside too. To be honest with. Oh, him. there's no doubt. Yeah. I put sure. him down for the same thing. Yeah. Flanker absolutely. slash slot. There you go. All right. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Marcus in Oregon. Marcus, what's up? Hey, John. Uh, congratulations on the child coming up here soon. Thank you. Hope you all are well. Yep. Um, I, I just want to talk about a couple of Pac-12 players. Um, I, these players have been uh, uh, talked about on this show a couple of times. Uh, I want to start out, since we were talking about receivers a second ago, I think a good player at the slot would be Kyle Phillips out of uh, UCLA. I mean, a lot of people are noticing now that he's um, actually a pretty good option there, and I believe there's some value there later in the round. Yeah, I have Kyle Phillips. My comp for him, and I don't like doing comps for everybody because I don't think it makes sense. I only do comps for guys that I really think – there's like a real comp, and I think a really good comp for him is Cole Beasley. Uh, I just think they're very similar players. They're not, they don't have top-end speed, but they're really quick, and they're not really big players. So I do think Kyle Phillips has some, has some toughness to him. Uh, I know people say, oh, John, lazy comp, white slot guy. But I just really think that they, they, they play similarly. I have him uh, round three slash four, kind of end the round three, top around four guy. Well, he's a return guy too, so that'll help yeah, his value returner. a little bit. Mm-hmm. I did not like exactly. his frame. I didn't like his hands very much. I didn't think he was physical enough, and I didn't like his ability in the contested catch. So for me, I would not. Uh, I would not consider him. I just. I, I think he, he always finds a way to get open, kind of like Cole Beasley. But, but I respect that opinion there, uh, Paul. And then the other Pac-12 player I wanted to talk about, and you guys have mentioned it one time, is uh, Abe Lucas at Washington State. Like I, I think that's really one of the best right tackles in this draft, and not a lot of people are really talking about him. I just want to kind of get your guys' opinion on what you think about him. If you strike out in the first round, I think Abraham Lucas would be the most logical pick there if you're trying to get a tackle at the top of round two. And I also Mm -hmm. think that another potential option would be um, maybe Bernard Raymond. Bernard Raymond. Do Do you think he'll be there in the second round, though? I, I think, that, he, I think I, he could be there at the top of the second round. That's why I asked Arif about Raymond, because I feel like he's kind of all over the place with where he's ranked by people. I don't 
think he'll get to the Giants at 36, but I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. The one issue with him, and I got to double check exactly what his his arm length was problematic for me. Um, Raymond? Let me see if, yeah, let me see if I can get his arm length real quick here. I have it right here. Um, 32 and 78. Yeah, he's under 33-inch arms, and I'm going to – Hesitate picking a tackle with under 33-inch arms. I think, remember the whole thing made out of Justin Pugh and his arm length? (laughs) Justin Pugh had 33-inch arms. Like, he was not under 33 inches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's a really good athlete. He's an older player, Raymond. He's almost 25 because of the military service he'd do in Austria. He's still raw. There's upside. I like him. But there are things about him that, that make me just a little bit nervous. Abraham Lucas also has 33 arms, too. Well, at least he's at 33. Oh. Raymond's under 33. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks for letting me know. I got to do a little more research on that guy. I'm just a little biased being out here in the West Coast, watch a lot of Pac-12 football. Huge Ducks fan. Hope that we take Dave on Thibodeau, but I, I just don't see him being there at five. But, I mean, it's very possible with the way people are talking about him right now. Uh, my personal opinion on him is I know there's a lot of concerns about, like, how much he's in this football, but the kid's got a motor once it's on. It's just got to figure out how to keep it on. All right. Appreciate the call, my friend. Yeah, and Lucas is 33, and I think that's seven-eighths arm. So that's certainly long enough to play tackle. That's almost 34 inches. That's, that, that's more than enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm looking on this. I'm looking on Dame Brugler's book that you gave me, John. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Braxton Jones from Southern Utah has 35 and three eighths arm length. Well, wasn't was it Andrew Thomas almost 35 inches when yes. the Giants picked him? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew Parrot. Oh yeah, he has poles too. Tom, mm-hmm. Thomas and Parrot had two of the longest uh, arms and wingspans of any of the offensive linemen last year. Well, and by the way, well, two that, years ago. And you know we we've talked about him briefly here, but that's why people are so. Let me see. bring up edge players here. That's why people are so freaking excited about Trayvon Walker. It's not, oh, only, it's not only his testing, mm-hmm. guys. If I can, where's my edge group here? Um, it's not only his, his testing, which is fantastic. The guy is 272 pounds. He is 35 and a half inch arms. Oh, I know. With that athletic testing. I know. I, know. I mean, he literally not only checks he like you know you used to have a really good homework assignment you didn't just get a check you got check plus he's like check plus 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 well wow. this is this is why off the testing and the traits you get so many people who are willing to bank their name on a projection and by which the, is a dangerous thing to do and by the way throw the throw the 35 and a half inch arms throw 10 and three quarter inch hands on there too he's uh He's, he's quite, a monster. He's quite the specimen. He's a monster. I, don't think, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Here's, well, a, du- here's a dude from North Dakota, Matt Walensko. Yeah. Well, Matt Lowetsko, he was at the Senior Bowl. Yep. 36 mm-hmm. <laughs> in charge. Yeah, there was a kid last year. Actually, I think Spencer Brown, oh who actually God. went to Buffalo from Northern Iowa last year. Uh, I think he almost had, he was like 6'9, though. He almost had 36 in charms, too, actually, yeah. I think. Anyway. So. 201-939. It is important for tackles. It's just important. remember this. Don't get too caught up on the numbers, folks. Watch the tape. Yeah, it's just fun to watch. Of course. But, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is certainly something. And, and the but shame look. of it is guys like Al Davis years ago who used to put a, such a premium on the 40 time that 
he would just like disqualify guys if they didn't have the right forty right, time. Right. That's a dangerous thing to do. Oh yeah, no, you can't. You know guys, these guys Lin- are football players. Okay, they're not numbers. Linderbaum only has thirty-one and seven eighths. Well, well, that that's, that's an might, issue. That's why he might go into the second round because mm-hmm. that's a lot of length. Now he's losing and he's yeah. giving away. Now easier inside to deal yeah, with that absolutely. because you don't have no, as long. Got a couple players, extra arms on the right and the left of you. No so. question. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> but no, that that that. That's an issue for him. Mm-hmm. And look, there is a history. I, some, I forget somebody put a tweet out. Like, of all the Pro Bowl tackles in the last 10 years, all of them, only two had arms lower than 33 inches. Right. Like, it's, it, it means something. No, it's it, not does meaningless. Mean, it does mean something. I believe, John, uh, you'd have to, I don't know if we, have, if we have the numbers here available. I think the mean arm length of tackles at the combine was 33 and a half yeah, this year. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I haven't seen it, but that sounds so, right. So don't don't kill anybody or bruise anybody if they're only mm-hmm. a thirty-three or thirty-three and a half. No, that's fine. That's once you get under thirty-three, that's you when know. you get into the danger. Now zone. it gets tricky. Yes, at tackle. 201-939-4513. And again, we have Mike Golick Sr. coming up in about ten minutes. Let's go to Marty in Manahawk, and he's up next. Hey Marty. Hey, how you doing, fellas? Uh I'll take you off uh the answer off the air too, if uh if you know, but uh I'm just curious if there's any buzz about any uh, HBCU players that are coming out. Oh, uh, boy. I don't know off the top of my head. Let me look at Dane's top 100 here. I did not scout any. I did not watch the Shrine game, Paul. That would have been a good game. I know you watched the I Shrine did. game. I did not. I did. There might be some guys from there that, that might jump out. You know, this is going to be see. a cop-out answer, but the truth of the matter is I don't pay much attention to the affiliations and, and, and the, the sort. I mean, to be frank with you, and, and this is not in any way to be considered a racist comment, I couldn't sit here and, and list for you the, H, you know, the HSBC no, pa- pa- schools. Paul doesn't care what school the guy comes from is the point. I mean, you know, I'll look, I'll look at the competition he's playing against, and I'll look at the player. I kind of block out the other stuff, the other qualifications. And so, yeah, I couldn't even list those schools that actually qualify for you. I'm sorry. I, and that's not that's not a racist comment. That's just telling you the truth. No, I understand. But I just it was just, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to the old days, like when uh, they, they were able to get, like, uh, Homer Jones out of Grambling. Well, John like Mendenhall, that, you know. right? John Mendenhall, right. You know, I, I hear you. I hear you. I understand. See, today there, there's an edge rusher that's coming out of one of the – traditional black colleges and i don't remember the kid's name he's a day three pick see unfortunately i focus on rounds one through four really because that's the time that i have and i don't think you can get any of those guys in rounds one through four let me see if we can find a list here for see you, here here's what i would say the one of the only differentiation that i kind of make when i categorize is is the fcs i'm like okay he's an fcs guy so now you have to understand there is a step up in his competition. I don't break it down furthermore and say, okay, this is an historically black right, right. school. All right, That's so not where I go. Here, Looking at a couple websites here, here are seven names uh, that I found here. Let's see. Um, do they actually have them listed by name here? They don't. They just list them throughout the article. Of course they do, because that would make it too easy. <laughs> um, let's see here. We got Dakobe Durant, a cornerback out of South Carolina State. Harry Carson's on the Yes, line, it is. Right? That's correct. Um, Mark, oh, Marquise Bell. He's a guy that could be a round four pick of safety ah! out of Florida A&M. 
Oh, Marquise Bell. Oh, see, and that's your point, Paul. I knew Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. I've watched him. Sure. I, didn't, I didn't realize sure. Fayetteville State was an HBCU. Uh, Marquise so Bell. Marquise Bell is actually my sixth rounder. There you go. Uh, Jatire Carter, uh, an offensive lineman at a Southern. So those are some names that I think uh, could be guys that could get drafted in, in you know the top six rounds or so. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, uh, it's it's good to hear that uh, you know that there are some guys coming out. So. Appreciate the call, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, Paul. To your point, like I didn't realize Florida A and M and Fayetteville State were HBCUs. I just didn't. I just <laughs> like didn't I know. said, I if I asked know. you to make those yeah. the list of those schools, could no, you do it? Probably. I couldn't do it. No, I mean, you know, Grambling and some no of the way. ones that are in the, the you know those, but right? that's it. Yeah, but I mean, I, I know. I guess the the MEAC schools, right? Morgan State, uh, Delaware State. Well, well do I they could, are they part? Are they I don't part think of the so. Morgan H- State? Morgan State might be. You know, I'm not even sure. Well, here's the thing. People How, always, Howard is, right? And, and, Howard's and by one the of way, those schools. People always make fun of me. I can't even keep conferences straight with the colleges anymore. Oh, Because these well, guys are moving around all the time. Exactly. Big 12, Big 10. I have to look it up half They're the time. They're playing shuffleboard with each other, these I schools. I, I don't know who's in what It's conference. ridiculous. Especially once the Big East broke up and they all split into all those different conferences. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where the hell these schools are Hell, I, got tr- I got trouble remembering that Appalachian State and Troy State are actually D1 instead of 1AA now. Right, exactly. All right, let's go to Rick in Tampa. He'll be our final caller before we get Mike Golick on. Rick, what's going on? What's up, guys? Oh, it's a couple days away. Um, Paulie, what's up, man? Hey, Hi. John, that's, uh, I, I, I want to ask you what first thing um, before I even get to the point. You guys talk about arm length. Now, I'm, I, I sell suits for a living. That's my job. I manage a store down here in Florida. Cool. But I know if I'm measuring you guys, I could look at you and tell you your sleeve length for a shirt or something like that or a suit. When you say a guy is 33 arms, where is that measurement from? That's my first question for us novices out there who are saying, okay, is that from the top of the shoulder down or as I would be from the point of the neck down? Well, I, I believe it would be from the top of the shoulder down. Mm-hmm. It would be from the top of the shoulder to right from to where the wrist becomes the hand. Now, here's okay, what yeah. here's what most people don't understand. You could say somebody has has length, right? But they don't right. have great arm length. Now, what's the difference? The difference is wingspan. Wingspan right. is from the tip of the finger on the left hand to the tip of the finger on the right so hand. That includes your hands and your torso. Because exactly. Right. So now hands and torso are part of your wingspan, but they're not part of your arm length. So you could say somebody has has great length, but the fact of the matter is his arm length may not impress you, but his wingspan okay. does. So okay. you got it, it's very very detailed. Okay, okay, good. Because you know you're saying it the last couple minutes, and I know I was just questioning that for a second, but now I know. Good, uh, John. I tweeted you yesterday about this whole wide receiver thing, you know, about Wilson and stuff coming out, and how they were teasing out of the Giants would possibly ever entertain a wide receiver in the top 10 pick, which is ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, just dropping Tony's uh, uh, name out there the other day, which was ridiculous as well, they were looking to see if somebody would maybe quickly drop a boatload of picks for him because of his potential to be the next ill or something like that. We, I, we have a, a really talented wide receiver that I think he's going to bust out next year. So I wouldn't take a top receiver in the first round, and you just had a whole conversation about that a little bit ago. So you see where my comp- where my thought went when I tweeted you that because I was hearing the same thing, and uh, I can't see that for the Giants. But I got a question for you guys, and I've been I I, I already told you, Mike. I'd love to see five and seven pick. But I, first question, and I've asked you before: Who is there a true right tackle in the top 
uh, first round. Is there somebody who played right tackle the whole time? Um, I asked you this before, and it's escaping me. Not uh, a left tackle. Uh, Evan, right Neal, tackle. Evan Neal played a full season at right tackle mm-hmm. at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lucas was a right tackle at Washington State. Correct. Uh, everyone else was pretty much left. left. Or versatile okay. and moved around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So with that said, I, and I do love Evan Neal as my top five, as my fifth pick. But if Gardner is there for some reason, uh, you know, with Walker maybe going first and messing things up, or who knows, a quarterback, uh, somebody jumps in, and we have a chance to get Gardner at five. Would we take? Would you take him over Neal and then go for maybe Cross as the seventh pick? Is that something you would do? No, I, I well, I don't think the Panthers are picking a cornerback. So in that case, I would pick my favorite tackle, and then I would just pick Sauce when he hits me at seven. Now, what would okay. I would I risk then the Panthers trading out of there and somebody else moving up to to pick that player? Sure, take it. But yeah, you know, mm. I got in my notes. Falele was a right tackle. Yes, you got that in your notes too. I could check that. You know what? You I, you know I was gonna say him, and then I kind of double. Double thought that you know what I think he actually was. Now that I think about, it, I think he was a right tackle. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's a the, big dude. He, man. He, he's the other pure right tackle. I mean, Pettit Frere is also uh, from Ohio State. Played a bunch of right tackle as well. But I think Falele is more of a pure right tackle. Frere played left tackle his final year though, and that was most of the tape right. I watched for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that even makes it more so. And I've said it before how Evan Neal is is my pick at five. Uh, but I love to see him get that, and then Gardner at seven, and I would be uh, jumping up and down in cartwheels for the first uh, uh, time in a while for the Giants' pick. So we'll see if that comes through, um, and uh, I'm hoping it falls into the place like that, and then get a defensive end maybe uh, in the first pick of the second round. And if that was the case, I don't know who they would choose there, depending on who's left uh, defensive end. Well, you might get one at seven. Uh, and 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 by the way, Falele well, uh, was a right tackle. If they don't get Gardner, yeah. right tackle is a junior, yeah, or a sophomore. Gardner will not wait. Gardner will not be there at seven. There's no way. Why do you say that, Jeff? If he's there at five, if he's going to be there at five, he's going to be the there Jets at will take him. Well, it depends how the top first four picks go. Well, I'm just saying. Right. If, if I just don't think that. Thank well, you, Rick. We got to run. I just think I don't think he'll be there all the way down at seven. No, but if he's my point, Jeff, he's going to be there at five. He's going to be there at seven because the Panthers aren't taking him at six. We don't think. It's unlikely. It's yeah. It's unlikely the Panthers would take yep. him. I see so, what you're so, saying. The, so the question is: Is he there at five? Yeah, that, that's that's more. That's yeah, the exactly. relevant. That's question. what I meant because sure. of the Jets. Yeah. All right, you guys discuss. I'm going to call Mike and I'm on the line. Okay, very Get good. Get that guy on the line, Jeff. In in the meantime, as and we had this conversation last week when when one of the putters came up. In fact, the Penn State kid. <sighs> yep. uh, in all honesty, seriously, do do you believe that? Two of those punters are going to be taken. The Arizona, the San, San Diego yeah, those, State guy. Both, both and, those guys will be taken. You know, later rounds. I, I think the kid from uh, from San Diego State will probably be taken. In my opinion, he'll probably go in the fifth round, somewhere in there. Five, and the Penn State guy uh, later, right six him. or seven. Yeah, I think six. I, I, I'm still. I, I don't. I would not be disturbed if the Giants went after one of those guys in the in the fifth or sixth round. Now, more importantly, if a punter is drafted, do you pop a bottle of champagne? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> and I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't like champagne. I might just do a bottle of wine and be better. You know, That's I fine. Enjoy it. You know, That's but fine. Absolutely. All right, spe- and, uh, Jeff, I'm sorry. Speaking okay. of popping champagne, we're, we're about to get some prime level dirt on Jeff Eagles oh from his old friend, oh, yeah. Mike yeah, Golick. Okay. 
Just if you give me time to talk, I will give you prime dirt on Golic too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not interested on Golic dirt. I only want Fiegel's dirt. Oh, exactly. So, so, so Pearson's going to bring your mic down if you start talking trash on Mike. So sorry, you lose, Jeff. I uh, know Mike well enough. He's not going to dirt on me. <laughs> All right, let's welcome in Mike Golic. And Mike, I'm sure you know Jeff. Whenever you see Jeff, he's walking around with this big, like, gallon jug size of water to stay hydrated. Well, you're here today to talk about a better way for Jeff to stay hydrated. So why don't we talk about that first before we get into the NFL draft for me? Interesting. Yes, we will do that because I, yeah, I got some things for Feeds. But, yeah, Feeds, <laughs> you need to get a bottle of Alkaline 88. That's what you need to get. And if you want me to send you some, I will. But I want everybody to go try it. Shaq's involved in this company. The big man both literally and figuratively loves this company. And everybody always says, what, what's the Alkaline 88? Well, the 88 is the pH level is 8.8. .8 which basically means it's perfectly balanced water, and we, all, we know why he's carrying around the jug of water. We all need to stay hydrated. Well, because the pH level is 8.8, .8, it absorbs into your body faster than regular water does. So you get a great-tasting water in Alkaline 88, and it's doing what it's supposed to do for you better than any other water out there. So that's why uh, Shaq has the challenge out there. Just try a bottle of Alkaline 88. You'll love the taste. And it's going to work for you faster than regular water. Check them out at AlkalineWaterCO.com. It's also available at over 75,000 retail locations, including Walmart, Kroger stores, Publix, and a bunch of others. See, I'll tell Michelle so she can get it for you because I know you're incapable of going to do something like that. <laughs> Very true. Uh, uh, I, in, in fact, here's the thing. If you sent it to Jeff here, he'd leave it here by accident anyway. I would. He, he wouldn't would. have it over. 100%. It. <laughs> yep. The good news is, though, at least he can pronounce the name of no, the that, product. That's true. He can. Well, I don't know, can he? <laughs> How much more time do we have on this program? <laughs> anyway. Listen, if it's... If it's if it's not golf we're talking about, That's I don't true. know if Feigs is interested. Golf or selling <laughs> Now, health. now we're talking. Let's, is this going to help my golf game? I'm drinking it. There you go. Yeah. All right, but, Mike, we have you on <laughs> here. And, and when we have you on, we have to talk about the trenches. I, I, I know that's where your passion is, where your love is. So take us through what you think of this uh, top of the offensive line here, class, where the Giants could be fishing here in the 2022 NFL draft. What do you think of the guys on the top of the board? Well, I, I covered both of them when I call college games. Uh, Iki Aquanu. Uh, and uh, Evan Neal, and those are, those are the top two guys. Aquanu is, is, uh, is probably the best run-blocking tackle in this draft. They would give out uh, at, at school, at North Carolina State, they give out uh, pancake awards when an old lineman knocks a D lineman down. Most of the time it's because the D lineman tripped, quite honestly, because, you know, <laughs> it's the way it is. But they would, they would give out little bottles of syrup. Um, and he had like a hundred and some bottles of syrup for all the pancake blocks he had. <laughs> That's a lot of syrup. He can also start out. Yeah, he can also start out at right tackle as well if, if need be. Um, Evan Neal, I was on the field before the Bama Arkansas game, and he, the dude, is just a monster. Six seven, like three fifty. I know he's got his weight down some now. I think he measured in the three thirties at the combine, but he is just a, a freak of nature. And like Alabama great lineman. He started out at guard, bumped to right tackle, and finished at left tackle. So he's the more versatile one. And I, overall, I think I would take him. I would take them both. It's almost like one and one A. I would be fine with both of them. I, I do like them both. 
Now, Mike, because you play defensive tackle and people keep talking about Trayvon Walker shooting up the board as a guy who is going to project as potentially playing multiple positions inside and outside at the NFL level, I need to get your perspective on exactly how effective you think he would be as a multiple position lineman. So here's another guy that that all of a sudden is rising up the boards, which is funny to me because I covered Georgia as well. I saw him play. There was a lot of great players on that defense, so he didn't have a ton of stats. So people, I'm sure, were thinking, oh, he didn't have great stats. But if you're a football guy and it's your job to know players for the draft, if you didn't already know he belonged up near the top, then you may need to look for another job because you could just watch this guy play. Listen, Jordan Davis, the 350-pound nose tackle, I watched him run from the nose position, run down running backs to the sideline. I knew he was fast. Now, watching him run the 4-8 at the combine is cool when a 350-pounder does it, and everybody lost their mind. I was like, I knew he was football fast watching him on the field, just like I knew Walker was an excellent player. It's like the Giants back in the day when they ran the NASCAR package, right, and had all the DNs playing the four positions, interior and outside. This is what Walker can do. He can play on the outside. Nickel, he can slide down if you want at 275 and show some quickness on the inside. He and Hutchinson both play the edge very well, rush the edge very well, and both play the run very well. But Walker definitely can give you a little more versatility. Listen, I know one thing. When you get Mike Golick or any part of the Golick family on the radio, TV, whatever, the first thing they are going to start talking about is food. So it doesn't surprise me that you talked about pancakes and syrup. So uh, <laughs> I, I do know this, Mike, and I'm infatuated. Last year, okay, it was a tight end. This year, it's Jordan Davis. Now, give me your take on this dude, because talk about eating pancakes. But this guy not only eats pancakes, he devours the syrup, I'm sure, like he just drinks it down. That man right there is a, is, is a specimen in my sense, because I love the way the size of this guy and how he moves. And you talk about 4-7 speed. I mean, how does that happen, Michael, really? Uh, listen, I, he, he was a freak of nature. Just like that was the best college defense I have seen in a long, long time. I mean, with some of the names that are going to come out in the first round, it rivals those old uh, Miami defenses, and they had the big names come out and got, but those guys a lot were successful, obviously, in the NFL. Let's see if these guys will as well. But just looking at his size, you would think he would just kind of be that statue in the middle, eat up blocks and let the linebackers make plays. Man, this guy has got quick feet, quick hands. Before you know it, he's in the backfield, whether by a quick move or shoving the center back into the backfield. Like I said, he breaks off and pursues and sprints down the line. And when that running back has to cut a ball back in, he's right there to make the tackle. It's just a freak of nature seeing guys this big be able to move that much. And I'm glad we're talking about D-linemen because I was looking to rank all the punters, but I don't see any anyway. We don't so have enough time. Really we hey, would. There, we could, would do there it. could be two draftable punters this year. Yeah. Yeah. It is a banner year for punters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mike, Mike, i got to ask you about the, the top two pass rushers on most people's boards, Hutchinson and Thibodeau. The, the common knock on Hutchinson, they talk about his short arms, and with Thibodeau they talk about attitude and maybe taking some plays off. Okay, come on, you you, you got to give it to me now. What What's your take on these two guys, specifically the critics who are going after them? I'm always amazed if you're 6'7", how you have short arms. How the hell does that happen? <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, then again, I, I loved when the quarterback, Kenny Pickett, they said, 
well, he has small hands. He can't play in the cold. Yeah, great. His whole career was at Pittsburgh. Where <laughs> I mean, it's, it's idiotic. It is idiotic. Hutchinson can turn the corner. He's got great leverage. Like I said, he plays the run better than Thibodeau. Thibodeau could rush the passer. I know he got nicked up. As far as the attitude thing, I'm always amazed where we get information yep, like that. Yep. Um, and, and to see how that supposedly pans out. From a football standpoint, I think, I think Hutchinson is a little more well-rounded because he can play the run as well. If Thibodeau struggles a little on the run, they're going to run at him. You're not going to run away from a guy like that because he has the speed to run it down. So they'll run at him and make him try and hold the point, and we'll see if he can do that. Mike, I love talking to guys that are close to college football because I feel like they have a different perspective. They see these guys more as players than they do prospects. And uh, you already kind of discussed this in, in terms of picking Hutchinson. What are some of the things, and you can go anywhere you want with this, that you're hearing about any of these players coming out in the draft that you hear and you're just like, I've been seeing these players up close for years. What the hell are these people talking about? Well, I mean, a lot of it happens when we go to the combine. You know, and all of a sudden, I, I, I was amazed that a player gets rated after the season is over when they play actual football. And then when they do the underwear Olympics at the combine or at their pro day, all of a sudden, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm like, what, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> you know, when, when, when I think it was Wilson, the, the quarterback with the Jets last year in his pro day, and then Malik Willis this year, they rolled left on their pro day and threw a bomb. Look at his arm strength. He's in shorts and a T-shirt. Nobody's rushing him. He's got no pads on. What's he do that he can throw in 55, 60 yards rolling left? Go get him, Mike. So what? And, and I'm not taking anything away from those guys because they were good before that happened. But that's what blows my mind. Anybody that goes off that and, and improves their ranking because of that, all it should make you do is if you're not sure on somebody and they, they shine for you in shorts and a T-shirt, is go back and watch more film on them than watch them play actual football. So quarterbacks you can do a little more with because you can take them up to the chalkboard or watch film with them during your interview time, and you can learn a little more about them. But the other positions, it's just crazy to me that they do this great thing around a cone and shorts and a T-shirt, <laughs> and we lose our mind. So, Mike, I'm gonna, it just, just kills me. I, I'm going to follow up then because I think being a Golden Domer yourself, the Kyle Hamilton <sighs> – uh, stuff off the 40 uh, must drive you nuts a little bit, huh? It's, it's ridiculous. This guy is 6'4", 220, can play down in the box for you like a backer, can get on the slot, can go back and play safety. He The 4'5", watch what he does on the field. He makes up more space with his long stride on, on, on deep balls. So, hey, if you want to pass on a guy because you didn't like him running a 4'5", more power to you, enjoy your job while you have Go ahead, Jeff. No, I don't. I mean, I was segue away from something more than Notre Dame. Seriously, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. Well, Mike. well, 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 Jeff Sally, yeah. there aren't there aren't any good Miami players in no, the draft, so we really year. can't go. <laughs> we, we got a new coach. Miami's in a little little bit of a lull right now. No, we got a new coach. Always, you know, a new you know, athletic director, like, so we're going to be okay. No, no, Mike, but Miami I want what I wanted. Like, 
I did want to ask yeah, you ahead. because there's a lot of people that, and I know that you and I both played the game well enough to know this, is that, you know, a guy like Thibodeau, who they talked about, you know, his attitude, and he's going to come in here, he thinks he knows it all, and this and that. I'm trying to tell people the fact that, yes, that might be the case, maybe on paper or somebody that says it, but the locker rooms learn to police these guys like this. And just give me a little bit of insight from your perspective of how that can change once these players get to the pro level and they get into a locker room and they get into a position room with veterans? Listen, you can be uh, a pro athlete, but that doesn't mean you come in as a professional. So all of a sudden, all these guys are going to be pros, but who knows that they're professional. And you, and you find out when you get in the locker room. And Jeff, you know our locker room. Mm-hmm. You think there were enough A personalities in there? You think Seth Joyner wasn't going to straighten some people out <laughs> if he didn't like their, their – mm-hmm. he's still doing it today. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it, yes, players – my dad told me keep your mouth shut and your eyes and your ears open and learn from the veterans in the locker room. And that's right. what I did. Now, not everybody – some do, some don't. Everybody learns at their different pace on how they learn, but that's exactly – and a lot of times coaches will let the locker room police itself. They don't want to get involved. They want the players to take care of it, and if somebody, you know, is a little high on his horse, you know, unless they're just playing lights out all the time, they're going to get knocked down a peg or two. It's a, it, all of a sudden you go from the rah-rah of college, which is more business now than it's been, I get it, but it's still college, to the, the professional of – these guys are pros. These guys are done with work. They go home to their family. Some go out. But this is now your job. This is what you're doing for a living, normally from 7 in the morning till 6 or 7 at night. So there, there definitely has to be a realization of where you are and how you're expected to, to act. Mike, final question for me. Because of your extensive experience uh, with the college game, could you possibly give us, if you've seen Aziz Ojolari and Kadarius Toney, guys who showed a lot of flash for the Giants as rookies, would you have a thought on the upside of both of these players? Um, I mean, listen, a, a lot of it, obviously, when you talk about players and their upside, and it's tougher for a wide receiver because a lot of it comes down to a quarterback, doesn't it? Sure. I mean, wh- how the quarterback delivers the ball. You know, I mean, we, we see guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady of how they put a ball on a receiver to, to get him open or to not get killed. So, some, you know, with, with, with Daniel Joseph, I mean, you're, you're, you're still not sure or, or he's going to be your guy. Daniel Jones, why am I saying Joseph? My bad. Um, that he's going to be your guy. So, I, you know, you still wait on the upside. You look at a, a team like Philly where they have struck out on high draft pick wide receivers, and you're certainly hoping you're not going down that road you know, with your guys either. But, you know, you play – what did Tony play, 10 games? I think he averaged about, what, four catches a game, something like that. The one thing you see, I think, with younger quarterbacks too is not a lot of big yards. Uh, I think he averaged under 11 yards a catch. You'd love to see that in a team for a wide receiver. But that has to go with the offense. And so you're hoping with your new coach, you know, that offense gets opened up a little bit if Jones is going to be the guy to lead it. All right, Mike, I know you got to run. we got to run as well. Uh, give me one more hit on uh, Alkaline 88, and also give me some dirt on Jeff Eagles before no. we say goodbye. <laughs> AlkalineWaterCO.com. Again, the 88 is 8.8 pH level. It's the most balanced water out there. It absorbs into your body faster than any other regular water. Shack Challenge, just try the water. So just give it a shot. See, I don't know if there was another punter who tried to run fake punch and got knocked out more than Seagulls did. Right, Jeff? I tried. 
I tried. I gave it my best, yeah. Mike. I really did. You know, Mike. Listen, I uh, give you credit because you would hold the ball as long as you could, and you would take that shot. And unfortunately, you got hit pretty hard. You know, Mike, believe it or not, the yep. one thing Jeff complains about more than anything else, when he was with the Giants, he had a play where he had a chance to complete a pass and the receiver dropped it, and nothing gets him angrier. With a than perfect throw. When he realized he lost that on his only chance at a complete I, I Listen, I don't blame him. You don't Jeff. get many chances to do listen. it. When you put one right on the button, you got to catch the ball. And so you want to know something? I never got another chance after Jim Finn, just, you know, did alligator arms on me across the middle. It was against the Cardinals. I'll never forget it. And I never got to wow, throw another pass in my names life. And everything. Oh yeah, he doesn't care. Oh. oh hell, I'm, listen, I know he's not listening. You know, so I should say his name a couple more times. Come on, Finn. <laughs> never mind I mean, the seriously. fact. Never mind the fact that Jim Finn blocked for Tiki Barber and helped him gain a thousand yards a couple of times. Well, that's, that's all a, he could do is block. He oh, okay. Catch. He's a fullback. <laughs> he's a fullback. He doesn't care about that. No, catch the damn not. ball. Catch the damn ball. By the way, Mike, before we go, I want to congratulate you and Sydney and Chris for the wedding. I I saw the pictures on it. Congratulations. That must have been awesome. Um, now we just got one left. And uh, so, you know, good for you. Congratulations. It doesn't seem that. long ago we lived it doesn't seem long ago we lived across the street from each other and Blake and uh, Sydney were out there mm-hmm. playing. This is the first kids. thing I thought of when I saw those pictures cuz guys when when uh, Mike was working radio his first days at ESPN, uh, the Golucks and the Feagles lived directly across the street oh, from wow. each other. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of things going on there, including dogs and yeah. go-karts, and we could do another hour show oh if we wanted God. to do. Oh, oh, Mike, by the way, we we are going to be in touch. We'll have you back on, and yeah. we're going to do like a full hour on like Jeff Fiegel. Yeah, and, let's do and, that. And it's going to be wonderful. I appreciate it, man. Oh, Thanks we, so much. We could get a full we could get a full hour. Thanks, man. You're the best. Right. Thank you. There, that is guys. Mike Golick, of All course, right. former NFL player. You know him from his time over at ESPN. And, again, you heard his deal on the water. If it can hydrate a guy as big as Shaq, I mean, you can't really go wrong, right? That's not the water you're, like, pouring on somebody for congratulatory stuff, right? No, you did, no, no, no. you need to drink yeah, that yeah, stuff. This is nutritious sure water. And darn it, we should have like asked him to send us some himself stuff. for a whole town. By the way, know? is there any single person on this planet that endorses more things than Shaquille O'Neal? He's nah, like the guy's got it going on, man. He has <laughs> he got a, it going on. Really? Shaq? Dr. Shaq knows how to make, he, the, make the cash. He is a marketing genius, that guy. And by wow. the way, Mike, Mike Golick, tremendous. Thank you so much. Oh, Alkaline Eating, awesome. go check it out. Love Mike. Uh, AlkalineWaterCO.com. Uh, before we say goodbye, guys, I just want us to bring up one more thing. Yeah. The hot news, and I, I wanted to get to the caller, so I don't want to spend 20. I, I'm killing you, Pierce. I know. I don't want to spend another 20 minutes on this to miss out on calls. The hot rumors that we've gotten over the, about the top four in the past 24 hours since we closed our last show. Daniel Jeremiah had last night that the Jaguars are down to two players. And one of them is not Aiden Hutchinson. Mm. The GM, Trent Baalke, wants Trayvon Walker. The head coach, Doug Peterson, wants Ike McQuanu. Mm. And that's going to be the debate. And who knows, maybe the owner steps in and says, I want this guy, and then none of it matters. But that apparently is the current debate, and I would guess the head coach wins that debate. Really? <laughs> Well, given he just showed up, he's the one with the Super Bowl ring, and Trent Baalke's probably already on thin ice anyway, my guess is that, head, is that the head coach wins that battle. Well, the owner won Baker Mayfield when Cleveland had that debate a few years ago. Well, but I don't know what side the owner's on, so no. I can't help you there. Don't know. <laughs> don't know. Well, how much, so, Iquanu, if it, if it is Iquanu, um, you know, who does Detroit take then? Do I they think take? they run for Hutchinson. Yeah. They I've, run I've for said Hutchinson. from the beginning of this process that 
Hutchinson does not get. I mean, can you imagine Dan Campbell not wanting to coach Aiden Hutchinson? Again, no question. In, yeah. Intel and that Michigan, I got says whole, he wants Thibodeau, but I, yeah. I understand. The Hutchinson makes a lot of sense. See, I, I think if I'm him, I would take Hutchinson. What I've heard is that the front office loves Thibodeau. Campbell's a little leery of him. Because he doesn't want to deal with him in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, the other piece of big news that's been around, and Tony Pauline had this on draft season yesterday. By the way, go check it out, draft season. Separate podcast platform. Go subscribe. We have one more mock draft coming up tomorrow. Um, and then it was today, this morning, Rappaport had it. Somebody else had it. The Texans are super heavy. have done a bunch of work and have done more work on this player more than any other. Derek Stingley. Good. By all means, take him. So, <laughs> That's why they're good. No, so here's the question now, and this is where it gets interesting. And this is why I brought this up. We'll do a little game theory. All right? Paul, you're blinking a lot, and it's freaking me out. Why are you, why are you doing because that? Because I'm really waiting for you to get to this. Okay. Hit the accelerator. I'm going. This is a good conversation. So why let's say Aquanu goes first. Hutchinson goes second. Stingley goes third. Do you think the Jets definitely take Trayvon Walker? Okay, you yes, know what? The hell yes, with it. No, yes, you know yes, what? Yes, I'm going to yes. make this tough. No timeout. Let's say they take Sauce Gardner. Okay? Let's just say the Jets take Sauce. The Giants are sitting at five, and they're staring at Neil or Cross or Trayvon Walker. What do you do there in the conversation of there are two tackles left? That's simple. So I know one's going to be there at seven. Mm-hmm. Does That's it matter simple. enough to you which tackle you get not to take Trevon Walker at five? Under those circumstances, probably not. not. We'd probably take Walker at five. Right? Walker, and you got your, you know, if, if whoever, yeah, whoever's left of the two, if they're both left there, then you get your, 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 uh, your pick. Because the intel is that the Panthers love Cross. So you might actually get Neil, who was my number one tackle anyway. So right. I'd be thrilled with that. Yeah, that's fine. Now, and again, we're not all here. We have some concerns about Trayvon Walker. Mm-hmm. I don't think Trayvon Walker is worth the fifth pick in the draft. But under your scenario, the pieces fit a little better. Right. And I, I just, my feeling is that based on what Joe Shane has done in Buffalo and what him and Brandon Bean did in Buffalo and the type of player that Wink Martindale would like on his defensive line, Trayvon Walker seems like a very good fit. You know, if you were in a Batman movie, you would be known as Mr. Hypothetical because you just love to make people <laughs> insane with your hypotheticals. Well, we're talking about a draft that we don't know what's going to happen. All I have are hype. All we've done for three months is hypotheticals. What else do I want me to I do? Know. I don't have any facts. <laughs> Can we fast forward to Thursday night and get this over with, please? No, we have two more shows. An hour on we Wednesday, do. two hours on I Thursday. Know. Uh, we have the draft season show coming up tomorrow. We just posted up uh, Shono Hara and David Deal's offensive line prospect analysis. It's almost an hour. It's all Ooh. offensive line prospects and a little bit of pass rusher stuff at the end and defensive line at the end. So make sure you guys check that out. It is required reading or listening. It is my favorite podcast I do every year. Uh, we chopped it up. It was a lot of fun. So make sure you go check that out. For Paul Dottino, for Jeff Fegels, you want a giant suite, 888-NYG-1925, giants.com slash suites. Ask for Fegels to hook you up. Make, <laughs> make sure you check it out, and we'll see you on Wednesday at noon for another Big Blue Kickoff Live.